Good morning, Village Church East. Good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis, and I am the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It's my privilege to welcome you this morning, all you brave souls who have yet to be stricken with the epidemic that's going around. Holy cow. Everyone's getting sick. I probably passed it on to everybody, so you're welcome. I want to welcome you uh, to our service this morning. We, uh, we have a lot that we're going to be uh, doing this morning. Let me start off first by welcoming you if you're a guest here uh, or, if you haven't, or if you've been checking us out for a while. We are glad that you are with us. Uh, it doesn't escape us that you would like to know a little bit more about us. There's several ways to do that. In a few moments, we're going to have a folder come along in the, in the aisle. And if you would take that and look for the green card, the green card is the I'm new card. There's only really two questions on there. Uh, one is your name and the other is your email address. And if you would fill that out for us, we would have a record of your visit and I will send you a beautiful letter later on this week and welcome you with us this morning. Um, and if you also take uh, that green card and, and slip it back under the clip in the, in the booklet, um, you can also text, uh, let's go to the text, because uh, I, yeah, 555-888. It's a really difficult number to remember, so I always forget that one. If you text that number, uh, and you say, I'm new, you can take that to the back afterwards at our table in the back, and uh, we will give you a Starbucks gift card. So if you've been coming for any length of time and you haven't got your Starbucks gift card, we owe you. So uh, fill that out. You didn't get one, Robin? Good grief. Oh, you didn't get a letter either? Robin, oh, I feel terrible. All right, so Robin gets two gift cards in the back, all right? Um, also, the other good thing is, now that we're hitting the uh, 55 degree weather today, this may not apply, except next week we'll have a blizzard. Uh, if we need to make church cancellations, you definitely will want to be on this text thread. We will not send you garbage texts, we promise, uh, but these are like emergency texts, and so we want to make sure that everybody's on 555-888, join our text thread so we can make sure you are up to date on all of these pertinent information that you need uh, quickly. All right, guys, if we could start handing those out. Also, if you want a, a prayer request, you can fill a prayer card out. Those are available as well. So just take the, the booklet. There's a pen in there. Fill out uh, those. Put it back under the clip, and I'll get back to you this week, unlike I did with Robin. <laughs> Uh, we are going to prepare to take up the offering this morning. If you're new with us, this is not for you. You are welcome to give, of course. Uh, but if, you, um, if you're still checking us out and you want to make sure that you want to be a part of what we're doing uh, and you haven't made that decision yet, uh, this is something that we do as a, offer, as, a, um, as a sacrifice, as an offering. We give back to God what he has so generously given to us. All of this takes money to, uh, to do. Uh, ministry finances, and uh, ministry takes finances, so uh, if you would like to participate in the offering, this is your opportunity to do that uh, this morning. But our members love to do this. You can give in the offering plate, and you can also give all these different ways. You can give online. Uh, there's all, all kinds of opportunities to be a part of what we're doing here at Village Church East. I actually only have one big announcement for you this morning, and I'm very excited about this one because we have so many new folks with us that are just still checking us out, wondering where they are. So I've invited Megan to come up and be a part of this announcement because she does announcements better than anybody I know. <laughs> well, uh, she does announcements very well. And so 
Uh, Megan was tasked this week with our leadership team to come up with some questions that we kind of came up with together. And so she's going to ask me questions on baptism. Some of us come from different traditions and different ideas of what baptism is. Uh, we have our baptism class that we're going to be doing today, right after the service. It's about 45 minutes long. It's No, it's this week. It's this week, yeah. It's this week. Next week we do the belong class. So anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> We're going to be doing that class today because I'm ready to do it today. But we'll do it next week too if we need to. All right. Uh, but anyway, if you are interested this week or next week and you'd like to learn a little bit about what baptism is, um, we want to answer all of your questions. All right? So I, I am giving myself to do two weeks of this, this uh, class. 45 minutes and we meet in the nursery right on the other side of the kitchen. So I'm going to beeline it over there. And if you'd like to come over, here's some of the questions that you might get answered. So, so Craig, I, I really don't know anything about baptism. Can you just give us like a, a two second summary? Like what, what is it? What is happening? That is a good question. Yes. Uh, baptism is an opportunity to make an outward visible demonstration of the commitment you have made inwardly to Jesus Christ. And so God in his providential wisdom has given us an outward visible sign of what it means to commit my life to him. So baptism doesn't make me any more close to God. It's my opportunity to really take a, a step of obedience. Jesus tells us to get baptized. Jesus wants the church to baptize because this is an outward proclamation of the inward commitment we have made to follow Jesus Christ. But Craig, I was already baptized when I was So that's a good question, and we go deeper into this in our class uh, to follow. Uh, but if you look, everything we do in church, we try and go back to Scripture and say, what were they doing in the Bible? And in the Bible, everyone who was baptized had already made an inward decision to follow Jesus Christ. So we don't baptize babies because they are not able to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. In Scripture, everybody who made a decision to follow Christ was old enough to understand what that meant, and then they decided to give their life to Jesus Christ, surrender to him, and then get baptized as a visible demonstration of what they had done in their lives. This is kind of a nice project, actually. If you go home and look up the word baptism anywhere in Scripture, you'll find this to be true. It'll say they were saved and then they were baptized, or they accepted the message and they were baptized. But all the time, it's people who are mature enough to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. So I have a few more questions, but maybe I'll save them for class. If I come to class, do I like have to get baptized? No. Okay. No, you can come to class and just kind of learn more about it, Megan, because I know you're confused. So you are. <laughs> so Megan has actually been baptized, <laughs> but she's playing the part this morning. But yeah, this class is simply for people who are curious. You're not committing to anything. No, you're very welcome. I'll see you this week or next week. <laughs> this week and next week. Great. All right. Week. All right. Super duper. Thank you, Megan. All right. Let's give Megan a hand. Didn't she do a great job? <laughs> Take a bow. I would like to, uh, before we dive into God's word, uh, I would like to take a moment and, uh, and spend a little time in prayer. Uh, once in a while, we'll do a, what I call a pastoral prayer, and it's just kind of a moment for us to remember to pray for one another and what God is doing in our community and around the world. 
Um, some things you may not be aware of because of the, uh, the, um, the, the, the bent of the media is that a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, a lot of that is what's going on in China. A lot of the protests are because their religious freedoms are included in being taken away with some of their political freedoms as well. And so, um, so a lot of people that you see on the streets there are believers. Uh, there is a, um, you may not know this, but there is a revival going on in Iran right now. Uh, people are coming to know the Lord left and right. The church is growing in Iran. And uh, what we see on the news is, uh, of course, the political fallout and uh, some of the damage that's being created with, um, with people protesting against the government. Um, but when you see these people on the streets, you should see uh, our brothers and sisters around the world following Jesus Christ, also standing up for their faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so I'd like to take a moment and uh, pray with you. Uh, I know a lot of you have prayer requests on your hearts um, some of you have shared those with me uh, in person. I greatly appreciate that. I pray for you often, um, and uh, we believe in prayer. So I want to spend a moment before we dive into God's Word and pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, it occurs to me that we have the ability and the privilege of speaking with the greatest entity in the universe who not only um, loves us uh, and rules all that we see around us, but who is intimately involved in every single aspect of our lives. So a lot of us have like stuff going on in the inner recesses and the corners of our hearts. Some who are here this morning, it doesn't escape me, have come in with some pretty big burdens some challenges in their life, some stresses, some worries, uh, job situations, family situations, financial situations. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would visit us this morning. You're already here. We really just want to remove the fog so that we can spend a few moments realizing how present you are in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, visit us this morning and remind us of that. Lift burdens, encourage broken hearts, visit those who are lonely and remind them that they are not alone. Help those that are, are here that have uh, worries about this week and what's to come, me being one of them, <laughs> some things coming up this week. And remind us, Father, that you're already there, that you already have these things under control and that your care for us is beyond what we could possibly imagine. And so, Father, let us rest in that. Give us a peace that passes understanding. Let us remember the verses that you so often want us to remember, the, 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 the words that you spoke. Cast all your cares upon me, for my burden is easy and my, my yoke is light and my burden is light. And so, Father, remind us that you carry those burdens for us sometimes. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that for many of us this morning. I think about our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, not just in Iran and uh, not just in China, but so many areas of the world that are being persecuted for the gospel, so many people that are standing up for their faith and being persecuted for it. I pray that you would remind them that you, you are there with them as well that your spirit connects them with you in a way that we cannot possibly imagine. 
and that you stick closer than a brother, that they are not alone. And Father, help us to remember as their brothers and sisters to pray for them because, um, because they're family too. I pray that you would intervene in our world that seems like it goes upside down every single week, uh, led by people who live in a world where the lid's off crazy. I pray, Father, that you would remind us constantly that you're in control and help us to rest in that. For all the burdens that are represented here this morning, Father, you know each one of them. Parents worried about their children and flus that, that are coming across borders and all of the different things that, that seek to grab our hearts and take our minds off of what really matters, which is the fact that you love us and you're in complete control. So let us rest in that. We're going to spend some time in your word right now, and I pray that you would remove our distractions, uh, anything that would cause us to wander this morning and help us to focus on this time that really matters, this time with you. Visit us in a way that changes us and remind us of the power of the gospel. So we give this morning to you. Thank you for the songs we've already sang. Uh, thanks for Marina leading us and the team. I'm so grateful for them, and I pray that uh, we would take full advantage of the rest of the time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our series. Did I forget something? I forgot the offering? Oh, I... Uh, yes, yes. All right. So we're going to take up the offering right now, which I'm sure I brought up earlier. <laughs> but now that we've prayed, you should be able to give more. So there you go. <laughs> we are continuing our series on uh, the values of Village Church East. These are, if you visit our web website, uh, www.vceast.org, you will find these values. There's a button right there on our front page. And if you're interested on the values of our church, you'll find that little button there. Um, and that'll bring you up to speed with some of the messages that we've been doing. But as, uh, most of all, it'll let you know what our values are here uh, that make us unique as a church. So I want to start with this question this morning before I tell you the value that we're going to be covering. How many of you are hoping are hoping that the 49ers win the Super Bowl today. <laughs> one honest person. I know there's another one over there, all right? Nobody over here? Right. Oh, yeah, three, four, all right, four. Yeah, Albert, Albert's got money on them, so I know he's hoping they're gonna, they're gonna win. All right, who else is playing? St. Louis, right? No. Who's the other one? Kansas City. Kansas City, I don't know, yeah. Does it really matter? <laughs> How many of you hope Kansas City wins today? Oh, a lot more Kansas City, wow. Well, you guys should get together because misery loves company today. So, uh, uh, yeah. Hope, uh, uh, many are hoping the Chiefs win, many are hoping the 49ers. Hope is a strange thing. Hope is a strange thing, here's why. Sometimes we know that hoping in things isn't gonna accomplish anything. Like, if you hope the Bears make the Super Bowl, you know that's not gonna happen. So, no. Who wore their Bears jersey? <laughs> I told you. I told you. Even we put our money behind things that we hope in and we hang on with bare white knuckles hoping that it'll pay off. Confucius says it this way, the hardest hope of all is to find a black cat in a dark room, especially if there is no cat. And some of us have that kind of a hope in life sometimes. Sometimes people, 
Sometimes people hope in things so often and they get let down so often they give up on hope. Have you ever met somebody who has given up on hoping for things? That's very discouraging. Life takes its toll. Despair replaces hope. Uh, it's, it's almost like they live the Macbeth line. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That is hopelessness. Over the next, over these four Sundays, one more Sunday to go, we are talking about the values of Village Church East. And one of the, Village Church East, and one of the values is we are a what if church. As we get together in our prayer time before we do, as we, every time we do in the morning, we spend some time talking about the message and, and we pray over it. We do our pre-service time together. I said, the morning message is on what if, and somebody said, well, is it a what if I get hit by a car or what if the 49ers win today? You know, what if could go either way. We wanna be a what if church thinking that God not only can but will use us for great things. That means we don't wanna be <clears throat> complacent. We don't wanna get stuck in the mire of hopelessness. We, we want people to think what's next. We don't, we don't want them to think, oh, I saw that coming. We want people to think, uh, to, to use words like what could be. We never wanna hear, I told you so. Because one of those is a what if. What if big things are able to happen? And the other one is a what if, like I'm expecting the worst. We wanna be a church that offers hope that everyone can find here. And as I was doing this message, I thought to myself, what is the foundation for having that kind of a what if mentality? And the only foundation for having that kind of a what if positive mentality is quite frankly, that we are a church that believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God that changes lives. It changes communities, it changes it changes nations, it changes the world. And so the, the gas that goes in the tank of our what if positiveness has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our belief in the gospel that propels us to hold to the value of being a what if church. There's a passage <clears throat> that kind of identifies what the gospel is and I wanna just bring us up to speed all together here this morning. First Corinthians 15, one to four says this, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel and remind, let me remind you the gospel is, what it, the gospel is a Greek word, it means good news, right. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the gospels because they tell us the good news. And the reason Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the gospels is because the good news they tell us is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. The story of Jesus is in the Gospels, because the story of Jesus is the good news. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, I wanna remind you of the Gospel. And here's what he says. I wanna remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what is the word that he preached to them? It is the gospel. It is the gospel they received. You can see it here up on this passage of scripture. It is the gospel they received. It is the gospel in which they what? Stand. And it is a gospel by which they are what? It is a gospel by which they are being saved. This is a gospel that's more than just a story. It's a gospel that changes 
lives. And Paul puts it plainly for us to hear. He says in the next verse, for I delivered to you as of first importance, here's what the gospel is, what also I received, here it is, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. It's plain, it's simple, and it's powerful. This is the gospel that is paramount to any church who is offering any lasting hope to their culture. And it never changes. It doesn't matter where your church is. It doesn't matter what time period your church is in. The gospel is the power of God. We have to keep to it. We have to stick to it. And we cannot change it or tweak it. It doesn't need any tweaking. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, here's the gospel, don't change it. And then he writes to a church in Galatia, which is not far from Corinth, but he writes to the church in Galatia and he writes to them about the gospel. Now this is gonna shock you if you've never read this before. Here's what he says to a different culture, different, lang- uh, d- different group of people, different challenges, different, uh, a different kind of culture. Galatia, this is a different city, not Corinth. And he writes to Galatia and he says this. This is going to shock you. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different, what church? You're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Paul says there isn't any such thing. They're calling it the gospel, but it's not the gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now here's what's gonna shock you. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we've already preached to you, let him be, what's the word, church? Let him be cursed. In other words, let him go to hell. How important, church, is the gospel? How important is a clear, crisp, untainted gospel? Very. Why is it so important for God to tell these churches this? Here it is. Here's why. Because the natural pull of a church is to adapt to the culture they're in. The natural tendency of a church is to tweak the gospel so it meets the culture that is ever-changing. That is a temptation, and it is a challenge, and it is true for every single generation. As culture changes, the church might need to change the way that they talk, and the way that they preach, and the way that they live out the gospel, but they cannot change the meaning of the life-changing gospel story in an effort to be relevant. It's very important. Because Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven tells you the gospel is something different than Christ is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again from the grave. If it's different from that, run away. It's also important for us to understand what he means when he says, stand in the gospel. Receive the gospel. The gospel by which you are being saved. It's important for us to know that because knowing the gospel is different from believing the gospel. Let me show you why. Here's a question for you. You ready? Do the demons believe that Jesus is God's son? Yes, they absolutely do. They were there. The demons absolutely believe that Jesus is God's son. 
In fact, I'll give you one verse to prove it. Mark 1, 34, Jesus comes face to face with a demon. And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they, what church? They knew who he was. The demons knew that Jesus was the son of God and Jesus didn't want the demons being his missionaries. So he said, demons, shut it. I want people who have changed their lives to be my missionaries. The demons were not allowed to speak even though they knew him. All right, now let me ask you another question. I'm, I'm rocking your world today, but we got to figure out what the gospel is and how it changes us. And here's the second question. Do demons believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day? Yes, yes they do. They absolutely do. In James 2, verse 19, it says it this way, even the demons believe, and what? And they shudder. So what makes, the church, what makes a difference, church, between knowing the story and believing the story? Simply this, believing the gospel means immersing your life in the belief, actions, and power of the gospel. It means allowing the gospel to change you. Change the way you think, change the way you feel, change the way you look at your future, change the things that you value, change the things you love, change the things you give your money to, changes everything. When the gospel changes you, that's when the gospel is a belief for you. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we are told that Christ was killed for us, that his death washed our sins, and that by dying he disabled death itself. That is the formula, that is Christianity, and that is what must be believed. And we believe that receiving, standing in, and holding to the unchanging gospel brings our world the greatest hope that there is in this life and the next. It is the biggest what if. The biggest what if is, can the gospel change me? That is the biggest what if. And that is what drives our value of what if. Because we, if we believe the gospel can change us, we believe the gospel can change our neighbors and our neighborhood and our culture, our politics, our kids, our future. We believe the gospel changes things. So here are the values that drive us at VCE. We are a team building church. We covered that one. We are a digital church. That's next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. We are a family church. We are a servant leadership church. We are a what if church. And we are a so what church. Let's talk about number five. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. This is the same passage we've been studying, actually, the last couple of weeks. The thing that excites me most about this is that you guys will know this story so well. Because we've covered it the last three weeks, and we've got one week left to go. Same story, but a powerful, powerful uh, meaning in here for all of us. Because we're looking at it from different lenses. Verse 17. One of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Who was teaching, church? No, who was teaching? Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So there's a lot of people from a lot of different areas. And the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal. Jesus is getting popular. Jesus is attracting crowds. Everybody wants to hear about this Jesus. Some people were there to believe in him, they were hoping for things. Other people were there to criticize. Have you been in groups like that before? 
<laughs> Some people are there and they're going, rah, rah, we're on board, and other people are there trying to find the holes, right? Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots, these guys were always following Jesus to find the flaws. <laughs> Pharisees' job this day was to help people understand how the Old Testament scripture was to be lived out in real life. Sometimes they said good things, but always they heap burdens upon people that Jesus was constantly getting ticked over. <laughs> Emotional burdens. All right, verse 18. We've already talked about that, so let's keep going. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let, down, uh, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now we started looking at the paralytic. Again, if you want to catch up, everything's online. But the paralytic had friends, and we looked at the friends last week. Today we're going to look at this from a little bit different angle. We're going to look at the friends a little bit more, and also one other group. And here's what I want to look at the friends regarding. Which one of the... If, if you're in a group that comes up with a great idea, like how many of you have worked in teams before? Some of you worked in teams, most of you have, all right. So let's say you're working with a team and somebody comes up with a great idea that the whole team is gonna, is gonna follow, all right? Have you been in a situation where that one person wants all the credit? Yeah. Have you been in a situation where the one person goes, I don't want the credit, I just want us all to be on board? Which one would you prefer, A or B? B, B right? Nobody wants to work with some guy who wants all the credit. It was my idea. Let's talk about how important I am. But if you're going to be on a team that follows an idea, that idea has to be birthed from one person. One person comes, hey, I got an idea. I'd like to talk about this. It is interesting to me that these guys, we think there's four. There could be four. There likely is at least four, unless you got like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Thor. You know, you might be able to pull this off, but... Let's say that there's at least four that can yank this, this, uh, this pallet around, but there might have been more than four. When they get together, like they wake up in the morning, and one guy thinks to himself, I hear Jesus is coming to town. So what does he do? He calls up his buddies, right? There's no phone, there's no internet, so he doesn't call them up. He's got to actually walk to their houses. Hey, Sam, hey, Jimmy, let's get together. I hear Jesus is going to be in town, and Frank needs to be healed. So let's, let's, take, let, let's take a chance. Now, have you been in a situation where somebody comes up with an idea and it's a really hard sell? A lot of people just go, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. Do you love being in teams where somebody is quick to say, I don't like that idea at all. No, nope, I don't like that. Let's do something different. I, oh. If there's anything that grates my gears, that's one of the things that grates my gears. Because every idea has a spark of goodness in it, right? Some ideas are clearly unable to be done, but at least they're trying. For somebody to sit in a group and say, I'd like to say how bad that idea is and I've got five reasons why. I just like, why don't you go get us some coffee and we'll talk, about, we'll talk about it while you're gone and come up with a solution. These guys amaze me because somebody had to come up with the idea and somebody had to start gathering their friends together and somebody said, let's have a powwow, let's sit together and let's talk about what this is gonna look like because Frank has been paralyzed. Maybe he had an accident, maybe he fell from a roof, maybe he's been paralyzed his whole life. We don't know. We just know the guy needs serious help. 
And one of these guys has the faith to gather his friends together and suggest something crazy. Let's tie him down to his bed. Let's drag him through the neighborhood. Let's yank him up on the roof. Let's dig a hole and shove him through. Crazy idea. But one of these guys had to start it. And the end, the other four friends, or more, however there were, however many there were, they had to say, it's worth it. They had to say, we're willing to take the risk. Now, I planned it this way in your brains for one reason. You may be sitting here in church thinking to yourself, I don't really have a lot to add to this church. You need to rid yourself of that idea. You don't have to be the person that comes up with the idea. But you could be a person that says, hey, we should try that. I, I, I don't even care if, if I'm the one doing all the work afterwards. If I have a room of people that say, hey, we're willing to try it. I, I, would, I would love that. We need friends who are willing to walk by faith. We need a church that is able to say, what if God could use us in this incredible way? Not people that say, it's going to be a lot of work yanking this pallet through the city, man. I don't know if we can afford the rope. Or, or, or then the guy, whoever comes up with the idea, hey, let's yank him up to the roof and dig a hole in the roof. And then they're going, seriously, we got to pay for this sucker. I don't, I don't uh, you know, payday is until next Friday. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this roof. A lot of people can give a lot of negatives, but the people that I love serving with are not necessarily the ones that come up with the idea, it's the ones that are willing to say, let's try it because God is a what if kind of God. What if we did this, what could God do? All of these friends seem to look at, look at this guy like he's a part of their family. And I gotta tell you, in the church, this is a powerful truth. In the book of Hebrews, it says, let us spur one another on to love and good works. Do you know what that means? It doesn't say, hey, Beth, you should come up with the idea that spurs everybody on to love and good works. It, said, it says in the book of Hebrews, let us spur one another on to love and good works. That means I don't care who comes up with the idea. Let's be the kind of church that's a what-if church. Let's spur one another on to love and good works. You may not think of the idea. You may just be a servant that follows the idea, but you're part of the team. And the family that put, let, puts legs on the project is as important as the person who comes up with the idea. No one person is more important. No one person is more godly. Listen, when this pallet plops in front of Jesus and the light shines through because there's no bulbs in this place, all of a sudden there's a bright light shining through the, like the lights in the back of this auditorium, shining through the roof. Jesus didn't look up there and he say, and, and say, wow, look, look at this, this is amazing. Can you tell me which one of you guys came up with this idea? In fact, the Bible says in verse 20, exactly the opposite. The Bible says, and when he, Jesus, saw whose faith? When Jesus saw their faith, he, says, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. You know what I love about that? He simply saw them working together as a family. He didn't point out whose idea it was. He didn't say who's stronger than the other. He didn't say who's smarter than the other. He just saw them working together as a family. And because of that, when he saw their faith, he saw that they believed Jesus who he, was who he said he was. He forgave the sins of the paralytic, the sins of their friend. 
They believed the gospel could change their friend's life. They believed Jesus was who he said he was. And so they plopped their paralytic friend in front of Jesus and prayed to God Jesus would do something great. The other thing I love about this is when Jesus saw their faith, he gave them no attention. Where did his attention go? To the paralytic. And church, where did they want his attention to go? To the paralytic. Nobody was up there going saying, Jesus, I, I thought of this. Jesus, it was, it was me. It wasn't these guys. I called them this morning. It was me. Jimmy. One person spurred the others to love and good works. And because of that, their friend had a great gift. And here's what happened. Same verse, verse 20. Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Can I just ask you a question? Now think about this. Don't answer quickly. How do you think his friends felt when they heard Jesus say, man, your sins are forgiven you? Hang on a second. Just think about it. After what they've done, after all they've been through, if they believe Jesus is who he says he is, what did they go there to get? They went there to get their friend healed. When they heard Jesus say, man, your sins are forgiven you, how do you think they felt? Confused? Wow. Here's, here's what I think. I've had a little more time to look this through. But at the beginning, when I just read this, I got to think, I was thinking, these guys are up there going, seriously, heal the guy, yeah. right? Just get him up and walk. That's what we came here for. I'm tired. I had to lift this guy on the roof. You know, I don't want to lift him out. Make him walk. But he didn't do that. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So here's, here's, what I've, here's where I've landed on this. If these guys think Jesus who, is who he says he is, and they hear him say, man, your sins are forgiven, I gotta think they're up there going, what'd he say? What, what did he say? He's not walking. What, he said something to him. What'd he say? What'd he say? He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Listen, if they really believed Jesus is who he says he was, the son of God, they just heard that man release their friend from every sin. They just heard that man, Jesus Christ, who they believe has the power to do that, give this guy a gold ticket straight to heaven. How do you think that made them feel? I got to think they're up there going, holy smokes. He's still paralyzed. But that guy, the son of God, just says he's good with God. Now keep in mind, the prevalent thinking of this day is if you've got something wrong with you, you've sinned. That's normal. Do you remember in John chapter 9, the guy that was born blind? If you've never read this story, you should. It's a wonderful story. In John chapter 9, the guy that was born blind... The disciples come walking along with Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, I have a question. See this guy over here, he's born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? That is the prevalent thinking of the day. So they think their friend did something wrong and that's why he's paralyzed. They dump him in front of Jesus and Jesus says, I forgive you of all your sins. Past, present, future, you're good with God. If the prevalent thinking in that day is this guy must have done something wrong and that's why they have just now been assured he's good with God, released of any of sins. 
These guys were probably under the assumption Sam, their buddy, had committed some terrible sin and he needed to be forgiven for it. They're, but they're not going to be like Job's friends that sit around and try and figure out what sin it is. Do you remember that? 37 chapters of people sitting around telling Job all these bad things are happening because you screwed up. They're not going to be like that. They're going to carry him to Jesus and they're going to sit him before Jesus. Maybe Jesus can make him right with God. I got to think they're doing dances on, this, on the roof. He said, I think he said his sins are gone. Is that what he said? Is that what you heard? His sins are gone. I think he said his sins are gone. I think he said he's good with God. I think the guy that can heal people and the son of God down there just said Sam's good with God. I think that's what just happened. And so I got to think church, more than anything else, they're probably doing cartwheels on the roof because they already believe Jesus is who he says he is. And now they know Sam's a part of the family. Jesus just cleaned Sam's slate. Let's finish up. Verse 21. Scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who can speak this kind of blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, everybody knows that. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. He says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? We talked about that last week. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Prove it. But rising and walking, woo, that's a visible sign. By the way, if you need to be baptized, it's easier to accept Christ as your Savior and make that decision inwardly. It's time to step out and make a public decision. It's time to back that up with visible signs because Jesus says walk by faith, but that never means a private faith you don't have to demonstrate on a regular basis. When with Jesus Christ, faith is always visible. So guess what he does for the paralytic? So that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, let me do the easy job. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. This simply validates Jesus' ability to make us right with God. Jesus did miracles to prove his message was true. The outward signs that Jesus did simply proved Jesus was who he says he was. There's a lot of prayer that I hope God answers in this life. I pray hoping all the time, don't you? When you pray, don't you hope? You pray and you hope, you pray and you hope. But the greatest hope I have is that the gospel would be, and I said this last week, the greatest hope I have is that the gospel would be received by, welcomed in, and stood by my family and my friends. My greatest hope is that God would give me my family and friends who would be with me not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's my greatest hope. And that's, what the, hope, that's the hope that Jesus gave these friends. One final thing. <laughs> not everybody walked home glorifying God. Did you know that? Can you guess? who the group of people was that was not very happy with this whole situation? You guessed correctly. Simply, let me simply ask you this. Did the Pharisees see this man get up and walk away? Did the Pharisees believe that this guy was paralyzed and that he could walk home? Yeah, they absolutely did. Then what was their reaction to Jesus? Was it belief or was it despising 
They hated Jesus for what he just did. So you know what Jesus did? I love this. You know what Jesus did? He just healed a lot more people. He just healed all kinds of people. And by the time you get to Mark 6, or or Luke chapter 6, by verse 11, it says, they, the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Church, why is it that the gospel gives some people so much hope and instills such fury in the hearts of others? Why? Because some people are not willing to lay down their arms. They're not willing to surrender. If these Pharisees had have seen, believed, and surrendered to Jesus, would Jesus have welcomed them in as part of the family? Yeah. But they saw, they believed, and they hated him for it. Because they loved the applause of man more than the applause of God. It was a paralytic and his friends who were bashed by life. This is so true. It was the paralytic and their friends who were bashed by life and yet chose to surrender to hope in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you one more what if. What if the paralyzed man had not been paralyzed? What if he never had the accident or was born paralyzed or however he ended up in that way? What if that never happened to him? Would he have ever come to believe in Jesus Christ? Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. All we do know is because he was paralyzed, he got a one-on-one with Jesus and he got a a gold ticket into heaven. I find that amazing because sometimes it's a turmoil of life that pushes us to real hope in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's the challenges that drive us to the power of the gospel. Spurgeon said it this way, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. The gospel has and always will be one thing. It'll always be the truth of who Jesus is and what his power can do to a life surrendered to him. And I want to tell you, if you've never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus for who he is, if you've never surrendered to him, you think it's a good story. You've heard the stories. You think it's a good idea to believe the stories, but you've never actually lived out the gospel. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never laid down your arms. You don't hate him. You're just not quite willing to surround your life with the power of the gospel. I want to tell you, until Jesus becomes a thing of beauty to you, so beautiful that everything else in life loosens its hold on you, you will never really understand the power of the gospel. Jesus, this dying Savior on the cross, has to become a thing of beauty to you. How do I know, Craig, if he's become a thing of beauty to you? Because when you sing the songs that we sing, sometimes your heart can't stop singing. The words that you sing powerfully impact your heart because the Jesus that died on this cross died for you. He suffered for you. And until you grasp that truth, you'll never understand how the power of the gospel can loose all other grips on your life. That's why the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in Romans 8.24, in this hope, the hope of the gospel, in this hope, we are saved. 
It all comes down to what the meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ does in your heart. This is why Jesus says, learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Some are just not ready to break down their walls and we need to pray for them. Some of people in our own family are just not willing to lay down their arms. They're not willing to surrender to what God says and they know God says, they're just not willing to to surrender at all. And I gotta believe that prayer, prayer still changes things. And that the gospel is the thing that still saves us and gives us hope and reminds us that God's not finished with us yet. Life may not lessen its fury against us, but we stand, we believe, and we receive the gospel daily. And that's why we're a what-if church, because we believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, church, who can be against us? You want to know why? Because the power of the gospel is still changing things today. Psalm 43.5 says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I want to tell you, we talked a little bit ago, two weeks ago, everyone can find a space here. And I want to remind you, church, we want to make space for every person. doesn't matter where they are, what they're struggling with, what their background is. Every person has a space here. Every person, last week we talked about, every person is a part of our family. Every person is welcomed in, not just as an acquaintance or a friend, your family. And like we bend over backwards for family, more so than for friends, we do that in the church. And today I want to tell you, church, that everyone should be able to find hope here. Everyone. The gospel drives our hope for what God can do in our lives and in our church. Not hope like I hope the 49ers win today. <laughs> but a hope built on a sure outcome. God has already fought the, bottle, the battle. God has already won the battle. And we are on the winning side. Gospel is still changing lives today. So church, what if we let loose this church to live out the power of the gospel in our culture? What could God do? Here's the way we say it in our vision statement. We are a what if church. We cherish what we have done, but we dream about what could be. The future is bright and full of certain hope that God is not finished. God moves through, power, uh, through people who have the vision, faith, and organizational freedom to make possible futures a present reality. We want to restrict unnecessary red tape, I love that line, that stands between any leader and a God-ordained vision. The elders at Village Church will joyfully fund and support vision that is measurable, attainable, clear, and compelling. Let me break it down into three separate statements for you. Hope drives our actions. The future is bright and full of certain hope that God is not finished. At Village Church, we believe that God can move mountains. We I can't say literally. We literally, figuratively believe that God can move mountains. We want people to jump on board because we want to grow with people that kind of hope. The key is not to surrender the weight of what life brings. The key is to apply the power of the gospel to every pain and every situation in life and watch what God, is, God can do. That is why we pray. We pray because we believe God can still change things. Prayers are admission that God is able to do above and beyond what we could hope or imagine ourselves. 
Ephesians 2.12 says it this way, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. At one time you walked among a people that had no hope, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, you are sitting in the group of people who have applied the gospel to different situations in their life and seen what the power of God can do. There are marriages here that have been saved by the power of the gospel. There are families here that have been saved by the power of the gospel. You are sitting among people who believe that God can, will, and still does change things because the gospel is powerful. Jesus is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still at work. And God can do, still do amazing things. It is this hope in the power of the gospel that keeps us moving forward steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Number two, hope drives our attitude. In 2 Corinthians 3.12, Paul says to us, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Hope is a part of our DNA. It makes us bold. Hope is what launched this whole project three years ago. You wouldn't be sitting here if people didn't believe the gospel can do things. You wouldn't be sitting here if you were sitting among a people who don't believe the what if in the power of the gospel. This church is almost three years old because a group of people believe that God can still change things. And this is the hope we look to release in our church. This is a part God moves through people who have the vision, faith, and organizational freedom to make present futures, or to make possible futures a present realities. We all have been in situations where people have squashed vision, right? Those are crummy meetings. We never want to have those kind of meetings at Village Church. And I want to tell you, I don't think we've ever had them. At Village Church East, my goal is to get rid of as much red tape for you as possible. If you're on a leadership team or if you want to do something or you have a vision of what God can do, my goal as your pastor is to remove as much red tape so that vision can come to life. We're a what-if church. There's enough Pharisees to go around. They're a dime a dozen. Enough people say, eh, we can't do that. We're not that kind of a church. That won't work is not the first phrase you'll hear at Village Church East. And the last thing I want to tell you on this is hope drives our mission. Hope drives our mission. The elders of Village Church will joyfully fund and support vision that is measurable, attainable, clear, and compelling. We don't do things without planning. <laughs> it doesn't mean that faith makes us walk off the edge of every single cliff we find. We plan ahead. We think through ramifications. We, we, we judge obstacles. We present a measurable, attainable, clear, and compelling vision before we leap. Let me question this, this, this question. How many people here think these friends tore off the roof before they thought financially could they cover this deal? They probably thought financially, do we have enough, do we have enough money between us that we could cover this? They probably thought it through. If they believed in Jesus Christ, they're not going to commit an act of vandalism and walk away. I think they measured out their task, made the plan clear, covered their financial costs in their head, and then sold it to their par paralytic friend before they did anything that day. And that's what we want to do at our church as well. Their faith in Jesus Christ drove them to step out and take the risk, but they planned it through. And sometimes our actions at Village Church might be radical like tearing off a roof, but we want to plan it through. Think outside the box. 
our values of what if are not built on jello. They're built upon planning and thinking ahead. We say we're a what if church because we want to get excited about what God is excited about. So I tell you this, if this excites you, if you are compelled by this vision, Village Church may be a place for you. We are not a perfect church by any stretch, but we want to keep the gospel center because that reminds us God is still at work and we want to remain a what if church. We want to think outside the box and we are hopeful because the trajectory will always be guided by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My goal is to serve in a church that presents God's hope to the world by ensuring the visible gospel drives everything we say and do. Because that one unchanging thing can bring hope to every person, every culture, and every place. It can break every chain, every lie, every foe, every meaningless guilt, every relentless sorrow. And it can bring meaning to every joy, hold every family secure, and promise every soul in eternity in heaven with the one who loves them the most. That's the power of the gospel. And that's why we're a what-if church. Let's pray. So Father, I'm grateful that we get to talk about possibilities. I don't know what you're going to do for us in 2020. We're asking you to clear up our vision so that we can have a, a what-if kind of a mentality, a what-if kind of an attitude as we go into this new year. We don't want to be a church that just remains status quo. We want to be a church that makes a difference. And so, Father, I pray that you would ignite an attitude of what if among our family. Thank you for all the people that we get to serve with, all the people that have put their, their time and their effort and their talents and their finances to the vision of this church. I pray, Father, as we guard the gospel and keep it pure, that we would see the power of the gospel bring these visions to life. So we give our future to you because we know with you, it is absolutely secure. We're excited to see what comes next. In Jesus' name, amen.